Good morning, everybody. Welcome. So glad you joined us this morning. Uh, let me explain why I'm wearing a mask. <clears throat> As you guys know, uh, we were hoping to uh, see better results as far as the COVID-19 spread with this pandemic. But uh, if you're following the news, you'll see that uh, numbers are, have been spiking. LA County has not been doing well as far as that is concerned. And so the reason for me wearing the mask is because I told you guys on the preview video, if you got a chance to see that, I said that I would be making the announcement as far as when we would be op- reopening our, our physical doors to have our worship service live and in person. So I want to do that now. But as I, as I do that, I wanted to wear the mask so that you would be accustomed to, one, seeing me wearing a mask, and two, for you to have the idea and uh, the resolution to know that uh, we're going to be asking everybody to wear a mask as we get together on July 12th. That's only in a couple of weeks. So July 12th is our reopening date. Um, we hope to see a lot of you here. You should know that besides wearing masks <clears throat> as a you know, precautionary measure and, and uh, trying to do our best to be considerate towards one another, um, we're also going to be following a lot of the CDC guidelines besides that, whether it's physical distancing, um, you know, how we conduct certain things. Things are going to definitely be a little bit different, but uh, we're hoping that we're able to ha- we'll be able to have a wonderful worship service and have a chance to see each other even though it won't be exactly the same as before. You should also know that the plan is on July 12th to have the service outdoors, and it'll start at 9 a.m., 9 a.m. So July 12th, 9 a.m., outdoors. Uh, We're going to do special accommodations for our elderly uh, members. We are going to have translation that day so that we only have one service. So put that on your calendar. Get your mask ready. uh, Be in prayer, and um, hopefully... Lord willing, we'll see you on the 12th, and we'll have a wonderful in-person church worship service experience. All right, enough of that. Since we don't have an audience today, I'm going to be removing my mask, but most likely, or very likely, I'll be wearing a mask as I preach on the 12th. So we're all going to have to give a little. Uh, One more announcement really quick would be that we are... Close to day, what is it, 12, 14, by the time you see this video, uh, and uh, for our 40 days of prayer. We mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about prayer in our service, and we launched a 40-day of prayer campaign, and uh, just an expectation, looking forward to what God will continue to be doing here at Crosspoint, and as we reopen our doors, and as we prepare to relaunch our new uh, disciple, simple disciple-making process So uh, I hope that you're involved in the 40 days of prayer. We believe that if God is going to move mightily here, it starts with prayer and and God just transforming us and working on our hearts and minds through prayer as we seek him for guidance and for provision and everything else we're going to need in order to be uh, successfully uh, functioning as a local body of Christ. So if you're not receiving the emails, For our 40 days of prayer, make sure you contact us at Crosspoint Christian Church. Put your information in and you'll be receiving daily uh, prayers for our 40 days of prayer campaign. I think it's really important. That's why we're taking time right now. So that's it for announcements. Let me um, 
refocus here and talk about what we're going to be sharing this morning. I'm excited to share with you a sermon titled, What Christians Need to Know. What Christians Need to Know. It's based out of Acts 2.42. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about prayer. That's something that the early church was involved in. And the apostles' doctrine was at the forefront of the early church. And so we want to make sure that we are, as much as possible, resembling what the early church looked like in order that we would see the type of results that we, we saw or that we see in the book of Acts when, when uh, God was adding to the church those who were being saved. Because our hope and our mission, our prayer, is that God would save many through Crosspoint, through you and through me. So we're excited. Key verse for today, Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's what the early church Christians were involved in. So lots to say about that. We're going to break it down. And today we're going to talk about the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. And we entitled the sermon, What Christians Need to Know. The main point this morning is this, that we may rightly worship and glorify God only if we know who He is and what He has done by studying His Holy Word. If we are going to rightly worship Him and bring glory to His holy name, it's only if we have a good understanding of who He is and what He has done. And we learn that through studying the scriptures. So that's why I'm so glad that uh, you tune in and take the time to listen to a biblical message like this. I hope that you're encouraged, and I pray that God, through His Word, will continue to transform our lives to be more like Christ. We're going to be using 2 Timothy as a springboard to what we're going to be talking about. We're going to break down our, our message into three sections. One is going to be um, what it is that we're supposed to know as Christians. The other one, uh, the other two are going to be follow-ups to that. So uh, let me, as a form of introduction, just talk about the early church. Acts 2.42 is a, you know, the whole book of Acts is what the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, or God the Holy Spirit, is doing in the church through the apostles. And we get to see that record, that historical record. And what we want to do then is try to imitate Uh, what uh, the early Christians were doing so that we could have the same type of experience and results that they were seeing. And ultimately, God being glorified, and a big part of that is God bringing new people to know the Lord through the gospel, through His Word. And therefore, understanding the Bible and being highly concerned and, and valuing the Bible as we study and read it and hear it and meditate on it and memorize it, that I believe is what's going to get us to be like the early church and see the type of results that bring glory to God as they did. Um, sometimes, and I don't want to you know, sit here and talk bad about other congregations as if I was an expert about what everybody else is doing and teaching, but you know, we hear, we study, we read, we see what's going on out there. And we experience certain things. And by that I mean, um, I want to talk about the importance of doctrine. Even that word doctrine is not something that we use very often, right? And sometimes we have a tendency, even as pastors and teachers in the church, to want to 
bring things down to a level where it's more understandable. And I completely understand that. My hope is that as I continue to grow as a pastor, as a teacher, that my teaching, though biblical and sound, would also be easy to understand for anybody, especially those who are seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so I'm not against trying to make things uh, you know, easier to understand. But at the same time, we got to understand that, that uh, some things in the Bible are difficult and we shouldn't shy away from the difficult things. You know, even Peter talks about some of Paul's teachings being difficult to understand and comprehend. And I love that. If it was difficult for Peter to understand some of what Paul was writing, you bet it's going to be difficult for us as well. But we don't run away from that. We don't shy away from that. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we got to be willing to put in the work. And that's what my hope is for Crosspoint and for anybody who's listening to this message. Let's not be afraid of these big words, you know, whether it's doctrine or theology. That's not reserved for certain people. You know, the reality is that all of us are theologians. Uh, by theologians, I mean uh, it has to do with our knowledge of who God is and what he has done. So as a Christian, you are a theologian. The only question is whether we're good theologians or we're not very good theologians. And a lot of that depends on what kind of effort we are making towards uh, the discipline of studying the Word of God in order that we may know God better and understand what He's done as well. John 17.3 is very important. Jesus speaking to God the Father says, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus our Lord is saying that eternal life is found in a relationship, in knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And so how do we know God? How do we prevent and guard ourselves against being people that emotionally we, we think we love God because our emotions are involved in that, but our heads, our minds, don't have a good, basic, fundamental understanding of who God is and what He's done. Listen, if we get our theology right, our knowledge about God right, then everything else can be right. If our theology is wrong, the opposite is true. Everything about us will be potentially wrong. When we talk about theology, let's not make this dichotomy to think that, you know, it's one thing to be you know, religious and knowledgeable, and then it's a totally different thing to apply that knowledge into our daily lives. We don't have our daily normal life, and then we have our life as Christians. It's one life. We take our Christianity, and we take our Lord. We, take, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere we go, we take God with us. He is there. We represent Him in all that we do. And so we shouldn't have this idea in our minds, and we shouldn't see that that difference either in our lives, where we are one way at church, or we think a certain way at church, we feel a certain way at church, and then once we leave church, we're this totally different person, you know, whether it's, you know, we're all deflated and, and uninspired, whatever it is. And, and I understand, that's normal. You get together at a, in a congregation, and you get together with, the, you know, a hundred other people that have the common faith and purposes and goals and missions in life, and that's very uplifting, and so it's normal to go out of here or a place like this of worship and then feel a little bit different. That's obviously normal. But what I'm talking about is there being this dramatic difference between our life at church 
in our life outside of church. So if we get our theology right, then the potential of everything else being right is there. But if our theology is wrong, it'll be very difficult to get anything right outside of our, uh, in, in, in our lives. Our theology affects me as a husband. My theology affects me as a, as a father, as a employee, as an employer, as a teammate. My theology affects how I am as a friend to people around me, how I look at people that are different than me. And so we best get our theology right. And as followers of Christ, we need to be about growing in our theology, in our doctrine, in, our, in God's teaching to us, in our understanding of who God is, our knowledge of Him. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The life of a Christian should be marked as a progression towards holiness, towards Christ-likeness, and a huge part of that is God's Word in us. I want to share 1 Peter 2.2 says that as newborn babes, we are to desire the pure milk of the Word. We are to... The verse before that talks about getting rid of malice and sin in our lives and then desiring the pureness of the Word of God as babes, as babies desire milk. And I'll, I'll, I'll end my introduction by quoting uh, Psalms 1, the first three verses. <clears throat> the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. And get verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that gives forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and everything he does shall prosper. Why wouldn't we want to be in the word and meditating on it day and night if that is the key to having a successful life, and by success I don't mean money, wealth, and security, and comfort, and, and happiness necessarily, although happiness is a good one, that's what blessed means, but I'm talking about having a successful life in that we would live out the very purpose for which our Creator created us. That's what I want, beloved, for myself. I want to, uh, as much as possible, be sure that I am walking in the ways and doing the things and involved in the work that God has prepared beforehand that I should be walking in. It is, it is that way that we find fulfillment and, and value in our lives and hope and joy and peace knowing that we are walking in the ways that God has before us. And a lot of that has to do with our approach to Him through His Word. So let's get started. Let's get started talk about what Christians need to know. Point number one, point number one is this, Christians need to know the apostles' doctrine. Christians need to, what is it that Christians need to know? They need to know the apostles' doctrine, their teaching, meaning the Bible. We have to know the Bible. It is so important. I cannot emphasize this enough. One of the things that I'm most grateful for growing up in a Christian environment, Christian home, and a Christian church, 
and and the specifically the pastor that I had for some 30 years, just about, is that he would make such an emphasis on us reading and studying the Bible, being disciples of the Word. I mean, he would mention that just about every week, and I want to I want to do that for you. I want to remind you. I want to steer you towards uh, being people that are highly concerned in, in studying the Word and being people of the Word. Look, I know what it's like to, to listen to a preacher and be amazed at how much they know. And I remember being younger, feeling like, wow, you know, before I ever read through the whole Bible as a teenager, uh, it, it, seemed, it seemed a little overwhelming, like, when am I going to read this whole thing? And some of you guys that are avid readers, you know, I know you go through books like this all the time. But for the rest of us, the normal folk, you know, uh, that, that wasn't part of our discipline, perhaps. And we had, a, we had a growing discipline towards that. And so I remember feeling like, man, I'm probably never going to read this whole thing. And, and, and I also remember at the beginning, it, it being a little bit of a, you know, wrongfully, my attitude was, was almost like checking the box. Let me, let me read this book. Let me read that. And, and now, 30 years later, it's such a joy. It's such a joy to sit down and to read and to reread and, and reread and then see that even, even portions that I've read dozens uh, uh, of times, you read it again and then you see that, wow, it's so rich. And I realized that was there and, and things just jump out at you because you're a different person as you're now reading something. And you'll, you know, you'll, don't be surprised, you'll, be, you'll find yourself reading the book of Numbers and highly enjoying it. Or Leviticus or some of these Old Testament uh, prophets. You know, when's the last time we read Zechariah or Joel and, and really enjoyed it? But yet, as we grow in knowledge, we find out that, that the Word of God is so much richer than what we understood the last time we read it. So I want to encourage you, be about the Word. Read the Word, memorize the Word, meditate on the Word. Make sure you're a doer of the word. Very important. We don't want to just grow in knowledge and not in application. Make sure that as you're reading and becoming more knowledgeable of the word, that your life is being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word to be more like Christ. If not, you got to do a, you know, a little check engine light should turn on on your, da- on your you know, dashboard uh, to, to make sure to see what's going on. We need to be transform more and more to be like Christ. If not, we're going to become these people with these big heads, lots of knowledge, and critical, maybe hypocritical or self-righteous, and we definitely don't want that. All right. So Christians need to know the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. That is the Bible. It is what the early church Christians were concerned about. The first description about, you know, when all these people came to know the Lord, 3,000 at one time. The next thing we see is that they would get together every day. And the main thing, the first thing that is mentioned here is that they were about the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles teach? The apostles taught what they saw, what they touched, what they experienced with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were eyewitnesses. They weren't sharing these fables like Peter says, but they were sharing their eyewitness account. And that's what's Part of what's really awesome about understanding the apostles' doctrines. They taught us what they experienced, what they saw, and what they heard from Jesus himself. And they also taught, the apostles did, they also taught the prophets. You know, as they were teaching, they would teach, as they were preach, they wouldn't, you know, when Peter got up at the day of Pentecost and started preaching, 
He wasn't preaching what Paul wrote in Corinthians because that came about uh, decades later. Peter would, would quote Joel of the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, Moses in the Old Testament. And so the apostles taught what was already written in the Old Testament, and then they also taught what they experienced as they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' accounts. The reason why we need to know the apostles' doctrine or teaching is that it is how we know God. Like I said, it is the way that we are going to know God. We don't want to become a church or a congregation that loves God with our heart or our emotions, but our minds are not filled with his word because we run the danger of knowing, trusting, believing in a God that is not the God of the Bible, and that happens all the time. We need to get a good understanding of the apostles' teachings. It is how we know God. It is what forms our theology, our knowledge of God. It is the science of God, theology is. And I, like I said, everybody's a theologian. You are a theologian. The key is, let's become better theologians through the studying of Scripture. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ, John 5, 39, speaking to religious leaders, he says to them, uh, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you find eternal life. When he says scriptures, he's referring obviously to the Old Testament. So the Lord tells them, you search the scriptures, because in them you think you find eternal life. But he says, but they are which testify of me. He's telling them, look, all the studying you do in order to know God, you need to understand that all that studying of the Old Testament is really you're studying about me, who unfortunately or sadly, these religious leaders did not accept Jesus as the one of whom the Old Testament spoke about. We need to be about becoming better theologians. And also a very important reason why we need to know the apostles' doctrine is that it is a way for us to guard against false teachers and false teachings. And beloved, this is a hard one. And Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter, John, they all talk about how in the church, within, even within the church, people, you know, uh, false teachers are going to rise and attempt to take people away from the truth. And so how do you know that you're in the truth if you're not studying the Bible? And how do you know, how are you going to guard your family, you know, your friends, when they come around and say, hey, I've been listening to so-and-so on the radio, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I've heard some stuff about that person. Maybe that's not the person you want to be listening to. But what are you going to say? How are you going to know? How will you identify false teachers or false teachings? How are you going to be able to identify whether you are not in the wrong in some kind of, you know, doctrines? Doesn't mean we have to agree in everything. Doesn't mean we have to know everything because that's never going to, neither one of those is ever going to happen. Uh, but... We want to make sure that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And the why has to be because it's in the word of God, properly studied and interpreted. Let me just throw in the fact that you don't have to be afraid. You know, the, the word of God in Peter says that this is not subject to personal interpretation. The Bible interprets itself. It's amazing. It's the living and powerful word of God. Trust that. All right, so point one is that Christians need to know the apostles' doctrine or teaching, that is, the Bible, for the three reasons that I just mentioned. So let me get to point number two, because point number two is Christians need to know 
what the apostles taught about who Jesus is. So what did the apostles teach about Jesus? The Bible writers. What does the Bible say about who Jesus is? Now, we could spend a couple of years easily talking about the person and the, and the work of Jesus Christ. We're going to do both of those in the next 10 minutes. So obviously, we're not going to do an exhaustive study, but there are four things about Jesus that are taught in the Bible that you need to know. One, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. I remember a friend of mine calling me one day in the evening and saying, hey, I just, I'm having a discussion with my wife. We can't figure this out. Is Jesus God the Son or the Son of God? Give you three seconds to think about that one. And I said, both. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son, and he's also the Son of God. The problem comes in when we hear Son of God, we think, you know, different from, which he is in a sense, but we, we think inferiority, you know, the dad is bigger, stronger, you know, first. So that's not what he's talking about. When he says the Son of God, it talks about, it's referencing to the fact that he is of the same essence of God, same nature, same stuff. All right, so God is, Jesus is God the Son and the Son of God. But he is God. We've been having some wonderful studies Tuesdays and Thursday nights, to which I want to encourage you to attend 8 p.m. Tuesdays, Thursdays. Check out Crossbone Christian Church for that information. But the fact that Jesus is God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. Verse 14 explains that the Word became flesh. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is God, beloved. We need to understand that completely. And then Philippians 2.6. Philippians 2.6-8. Let me read that to you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, speaking of Jesus' divinity. It's a word we don't use that often either, right? Divinity, the fact that he is God. 2, 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul says, starting in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in the essence of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was God. He never stopped being God, but he took on flesh in order that he would come and die on a cross on Calvary 2000 years ago for your sins and mine. You need to know that. You need to also know that Jesus is the creator. How awesome is that? Creator of what? Get this. Creator of everything. Creator of everything. God is the only uncreated one, and out of him, everything exists. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John 1.3, very similar to that, says the following. John 1.3, so Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3 in John 1, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the creator of all. He's God, he's the creator. Very important to us, a third point about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is the savior. 
the only one. Jesus said of himself, by the way, Jesus is also a prophet. Uh, Moses talked about him in uh, Deuteronomy and said, there will be a prophet raised among you like me, but him you will listen. Speaking of Jesus Christ and uh, Matthew 121, Jesus being the Savior, there's a ton of verses that talk about this, but the angel Gabriel speaking to Joseph when he's considering leaving Mary because she has been found to be pregnant and it wasn't him. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is a Savior. And Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the Savior. And we should know that He is Lord. He is Lord. Lord of what? Lord of all. Um, Revelations 19.6, you can look that up later. I'm just going to read Philippians 2.10. I was just there, right? Philippians 2.10. Listen to these awesome verses. Philippians 2.10 says, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Those are just four things that the apostles, that the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. And that's important. For some of us that are familiar with these doctrines or these teachings, uh, we maybe take those for granted. But you got to realize that people around you that don't know the Lord don't know these basic truths. Some of them feel that he's a God, but not the God. Some of them are mistaken thinking that, that God the Son, Jesus, started existing when he was born of the Virgin Mary. No, that's not the case. He's the eternal God that created every single thing. So part of what I would like to do is the reason why we want to study doctrine and be good theologians is not just, again, so that we could know these things, which is good, let it transform us, which is good, but then also share it. We need to share this information with people. This is part of the gospel, who God is and what he's done. That is what people need to know. Very good. So Christians need to know the apostles' doctrine, point number one. Point number two, Christians need to know what the apostles taught about who Jesus is. He's God, he's the creator, he's the savior, and he's Lord. And then thirdly, and with this we shall finish. The third point is that Christians need to know what the apostles taught about what Jesus did. Okay, the apostles' doctrine is important, check. The apostles taught about who Jesus is, good. Now, what did he do? Now that we know who Jesus is, what did he do? Let me share three things that he did. One, we read this already, he became a man. Now, we've probably heard this many times before, but when you stop and think about the fact that the Creator, the Almighty, the Holy One, the eternal God, became a man, became like one of us. He was born in a manger as a baby with a mom and a stepdad. That's amazing to think about the fact that the Creator became the creation, like the creation. And in every way, He took upon humanity and the the human nature except for the sin part of the human nature because he didn't have a human dad that would have transmitted his uh, sinful nature. 
So talking about the incarnation, John 1.14, I mentioned it. Uh, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us, John says, and he was an eyewitness of that. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. That in itself is amazing. That God would step down from his throne and enter into time and space. That's not the only thing he did. He also lived a perfect life. He was born perfect. And the Bible says that he was tempted just like we are in every single point, in every way. Soon after his baptism by John the Baptist, he goes out into the desert for 40 days and every day. We just read about three incidents, but Satan tempts Jesus for 40 days. He tries to play with his mind, you know. He tries to... Uh, uh, just get him at his, you know, weak uh, point when he had uh, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. You know the story. Uh, so uh, you can read that in Matthew chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken. So he becomes a man. He lives a perfect life, and that is so important for many, for many ways. He was tempted yet without sin. That's important because he's our high priest, and he can identify with every temptation that you go through. And he did that so that he would offer a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. That's some big words right there too, right? He lived a perfect life in order that he would offer his body and his life as a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. If he was to be the payment for our sins, for your sins and mine, he couldn't have his own sin. Otherwise, he would have died for his own sins. You know, the judgment of death would have been justly applied to him as a sinner. Because he was sinless and because he's God, he's able to offer his life as a payment, not just for one life, but because of his infinite worth, he's able to offer his perfect life as a sacrifice or as a payment for the sins of the world. And for those who receive him, who do not reject that offer of salvation and forgiveness, to them, he gives the power to become children of God. For those who accept and receive by faith his wonderful free gift of salvation. He will tell us, repent from your sin, acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy, understand that you can't do anything for yourself when it comes to, uh, to salvation, and then surrender to my lordship and accept my free gift of salvation that I purchased for you at the cross of Calvary when I died a shameful and painful death in your place. You might say, Mike, that sounds pretty good, but you got a verse for that? I would say, I certainly do. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that the Father, He, the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, become sin for us, that we should take on the righteousness of Christ through Him. That's one of the best verses that talks about the substitutionary atonement. There's another big word. We're all full of big words today. Write those down. Look them up. The way that God's, God the Father's wrath was appeased was through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Nothing else. Only His blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. When Jesus shed His blood, He was dying in our place. John the Baptist sees Jesus walking and he tells his 
disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why a lamb? Because he understood that one day he was going to be that sacrificial lamb that we talk about in the Old Testament, which always points to Jesus. It's awesome. All right, don't get me going on that one. So Jesus became a man. Jesus lived the perfect life that he would offer a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we saw that. And then lastly, you need to understand that the apostles teach that Jesus died on a cross. He was buried and that he was raised from the dead. He conquered death so that death would no longer have dominion over us. So that Jesus will be able to tell Martha as he's about to raise Lazarus after being dead for four days. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Why? Because death was taken care of at the cross of Calvary. And we are promised that as Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. John eleven twenty six says, if you believe this, you will never die. Our physical death is only a transition. When this physical tent wears out and, and is done away with, you read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says we are uh, transported into heaven to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, which is far greater, more awesome than anything that we could imagine here on earth. That's what we believe as Christians. That's what the apostles taught. That is what, that's what, in part, what it means to, to be involved in and concerned with the apostles' doctrines, their teachings, being good theologians, having a good understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. And all that through the word of God. I'm going to read. Um, so everything I said about dying, Jesus dying, being buried and raised from the dead. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to finish off with Colossians 2.13. Colossians 2.13. We're running out of time here. One of my favorite portions here, again, Colossians 2.13 through 15. Listen to this. What happened at the cross? Let's not be mistaken about who won at the cross. Colossians 2.13 through 15. Where'd it go? Here it is. It says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us, and he nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The cross, as terrible as that was, is the ultimate triumph of Jesus over sin and death and the enemy and all of darkness. Jesus won. We need to understand that that is what the Bible teaches. The Bible is written by prophets and uh, apostles that were guided by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable, it's useful for us to be taught, to be disciplined, to be corrected, to be encouraged. Why wouldn't we want to be about the word? But I understand, we need encouragement. We need accountability, beloved. So let me ask you this in conclusion. How are you devoted to the apostles' doctrine? I mean, really take inventory. Take a look at your life 
and say, well, I'm, I'm devoted to the apostles' doctrine, uh, similarly to how the early Christians were, you know, every day getting together and being about the word and listening and studying the apostles' doctrine and teaching, becoming better theologians, and really ask yourselves, how are you about going about becoming a better theologian as you study the teachings of the apostles, as you study the word? And if you're like me, there's always, always room for major improvement in this area. So I don't want to just beat you down. I want to encourage you and really, you know, take inventory of what it is that you're doing with your life and how is it that you're getting prepared to be a better theologian in order that you would better enjoy your relationship with God, but also you would better be able to be used by God in order to further His kingdom. You need to read the Word. You need to study the Word. You need to listen to the Word, memorize the Word, meditate in the Word, and then apply the Word and share the word. All those things. That, that, you know what that tells me? We ain't got time for a whole lot of stuff that we waste our, our life with. We need to be about our Father's business. All right. That is what Christians need to know. I hope you're blessed by the message. I hope you're encouraged. And my prayer is that God will transform us to be more like Christ every day as we hear His word. And part of the outcome that I wish to see through this message is that all of us will become better theologians or that we will be committed to becoming better disciples of Jesus and his word. God bless you, beloved. Let us take communion. I'm so looking forward to the 12th, as I announced earlier, in order for us to be able to take communion together. Because when you, when you analyze this, uh, you know, when, when Paul is talking in here in 1 Corinthians, says, when you get together, when you get together, you know, you're doing this. And when you get, to, when talking about communion and, and it's when we get together. Obviously, we're getting together virtually. I encourage you to take communion with me as we remember all these things that the apostles teach about what Jesus did and who he is. God became a man. He lived a perfect life, and then he offered his life as he died on the cross of Calvary as a payment for our sin. He shed his blood. He allowed his body to be crucified, and these are symbols of that. The bread symbolizes his body and the cup symbolizes the blood that was shed in, on our behalf. Praise God for that. If you're prepared, I invite you to take of the elements with me. And I'm going to read what Paul says. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for allowing us this time together. Holy Spirit, we praise you. We thank you. We pray that you would guide us to your truth, that as we listen to your word, that you would prompt in us a desire to receive it humbly and willing to apply it into our lives. Help us to be better disciples of our Lord Jesus 
as we attempt to be uh, better theologians and understand better the apostles' doctrine. I thank you for everybody who listened to this message. I ask for your blessing and protection. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. God bless you.